0: Radio Mano, papá Chango.
1: Welcome to another episode of Tangentially Speaking. <clears throat> Today's guest is Mark Elliot. Mark is best known to the extent that you know him. You might know him as a guy who was involved in Nixium, which is either a multi-level marketing company or a human optimization organization or a sex cult, depending upon what information you've heard. There was a multi-part, two-season Netflix uh, documentary about this organization called The Vow. I first heard about this a while ago, a couple years ago maybe, when the leader of this organization, a guy named Keith Ranieri, uh, was... Arrested, I think I read about it in, you know, the New York Times or some other mainstream news organization. And from the very beginning, it smelled fishy to me um, because most of the crimes, air quote crimes, that he was accused of, uh, this was before the trial, before he was convicted of air quote crimes, um, they were things that are creepy and make people uncomfortable but they were not crimes um the gist of it is that apparently he had sexual relationships with several of the women who were involved in this organization and some of the women um either independently or at his direction that's not clear but In any case, several of the women formed this kind of like inner core group of, you know, Keith's girls. And they had different rituals involved with being in this little harem, one of which was branding themselves. And so this whole thing kind of got out and the law got involved and decided they were going to take him down and take the whole organization apart and they did and they accused him of uh, sex trafficking and um, child pornography and racketeering I'm not really sure what racketeering is actually but in any case he was tried and convicted and now he's in prison probably for the rest of his life now the thing is When I was a kid, there was this very popular saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. This is what you said. This is what parents told their kids. This is what you said when somebody called you a name on the playground. You would just be a sassy little fucker and say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. (laughs) And that was your defense, right? I don't know if kids still say that anymore because now we live in a time where Words are considered violence. And if someone says something that makes you uncomfortable, you, not being you, of course, because if you listen to this podcast, you're not one of those people, because I say things that make you uncomfortable all the time. And thank you for sticking it out and saying, all right, I wish he hadn't said that, but you know, Chris is all right. So I'm still going to listen. I appreciate that. Uh, Because that's the spirit of what I'm trying to talk about here. Keith Ranieri did things that make me uncomfortable, apparently. Like, apparently, he had a 15-year-old girl sending him naked photos of herself. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of creepy. That makes me uncomfortable. And if that were my sister or my daughter or my granddaughter at this point in my life, I guess, uh, I'd probably kick his ass. Um, On the other hand, the illegality of such a thing is somewhat questionable. I guess in New York, which is where he was living at the time, it is considered illegal. I mean, but it's so fucked up that even if her 16-year-old boyfriend had those photos, uh, that would be illegal. And even if she has photos of herself on her phone, she is technically guilty of child pornography. Even if she took the photos of herself and the photos are on her own phone, she is technically guilty of child pornography. I've written about this elsewhere. So the laws are fucked up. And then you go someplace like, I think, Spain, the the age of consent is 13. I don't know what it is in Alabama, but there was a guy running for Senate who was sleeping with fifteen year olds, I believe, Roy something. Roy, I forget his name. Um, but he was running for Senate six years ago, I think. And that was a big deal. Um, so the 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 age of consent laws are somewhat arbitrary and you know, some people shouldn't consent to anything until they're fucking fifty, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know you can drive at 15 and a half in most states you can't get a drink till you're 21 but you can join the military at 18 i mean what the fuck there's there's no rhyme or reason here and i'm not saying any of this to excuse anyone what i'm saying is there's a difference between creepy and criminal the fact that something makes us uncomfortable does not mean it should be criminal does not mean it is criminal right some people are creeped out by jews some people are creeped out by boomers some people are creeped out by black people some people are creeped out by gay people there's no end to the things that creep somebody out right it names something and somebody's i'm creeped out by fucking sushi that doesn't mean sushi restaurants should be illegal And don't get me started on fucking steak tartare. God damn. Like, serve me some raw hamburger, give it a French name, and charge me triple? Come on now. You can at least cook it. Anyway, my point is that this case, this situation with Mark Ranieri is really interesting. And if you've seen The Vow, you've seen some of... The subtleties of this i mean there are a bunch of people who are part of this organization who continue to defend him continue to say that this organization has helped them immensely and they will not renounce him or the organization uh and mark elliott is one of those people now mark wasn't involved in the sexual stuff he didn't know anything about it Uh, as he said in our conversation he even like you know Asked some of these women out, thinking they were single and uninvolved, not knowing that they were part of this harem situation that was going on. And by the way, the harem situation, that's only illegal if you're married to everybody, but you can be fucking everybody, right? I mean, that it's not illegal to have multiple sexual partners it's only illegal it's only considered bigamy if you're married to them and then it becomes a legal thing because like who gets the house when you die and whose kids are you know all that kind of shit so anyway my point is this is a really interesting conversation interesting situation um the conversation had some technical limitations because we were speaking over Zoom and our connection was not awesome. And so it wasn't possible to have a very fluid back and forth because by the time, you know how this shit works, right? By the time I say, yeah, but, and then he's already, you know, two sentences on and then, oh, sorry, stop, what, what? Uh, uh. So the conversation is, is very much, You know, I just let him talk and then when he said what he had to say, I would say something. And then, so it's sort of one of those things where it's not, it's not a real back and forth so much as a, you know, make your point and then I'll make a point and then you make a point. More of a conversational tennis rather than ping pong, I guess, (laughs) if we're going to follow that line. Um, anyway, so, I I find these sorts of situations extremely interesting and illustrative of deeper themes in American culture, uh, culture in general, but particularly American culture right now because everything's so contentious and everything seems to be cause for offense and cause for debate and and everything's being kind of reconsidered. Um, I've been writing about stuff like this, Those of you who follow me on Substack know that my last few uh, articles have been somewhat contentious. And those of you who don't follow me on Substack, what the hell, man? Come on, you're missing all the fun. Uh, The last article I wrote was Am I a classical fascist with anti Semitic views? Well, According to the Washington Post and the Anti-Defamation League, I may well be, which was surprising to me. Uh, And then the article before that was the Omnigamous Dilemma. That's sort of talking about uh, omnivorous eating uh, and comparing that to sexuality um, and then I did uh, a brain dump on January 17th. So I do those periodically where I just share a bunch of things I've been reading and cool videos I've seen and uh, movies and books and whatever. Um, and also we're doing a book club on Substack. So if you're interested in being part of the book club, you can go to Substack and, and see about that. I posted something on the 13th and on the 16th about the book club. The first book we're reading is The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Mr. Milan Kundera, one of my favorite novels, and I haven't read it in 25 years or so, so that'll be interesting to revisit that, like going to visit a girlfriend from college, you know, that'll be, speaking of which, great, great movie about that, about going and visiting ex-girlfriends, starring Bill Murray, it's called Broken Flowers you're into bill murray and his sardonic wit um that's an interesting movie directed by jim jarmusch one of my favorite directors okay so that's it i guess that's the intro no ads i listened just before i did this i by the way this is the first podcast that i'm recording in this new house that we just bought um i come up here and i knock shit down and take shit apart and uh so I just brought my computer and a microphone up here so I can I can take a break and do some work. And then after I finish this, I'll go knock some more shit down. So that's fun. Um, right. I was listening to Bill Maher's podcast, uh, which is sometimes pretty fun. He he. he, he it's called, uh, fuck, what's it called? I forget what it's called, but Bill Maher. It's a new podcast. And he was hanging out talking with a Quentin Tarantino and man, they got so stoned. It was, it was ridiculous. It's like just listening to a couple of high school kids just giggling and forgetting what they were talking about. And it's, it's kind of, kind of, I know Bill Maher is a funny, I, I, Kinda of respect Bill Maher, but I don't like him very much. I feel like he's such a douche and he's he I had an interaction with him that was very douchey. And um so I I kinda of have a personal thing with him. But he keeps saying things that are really smart and that nobody else says, and so I have to fucking respect him. So there's that. And I guess that's kind of like sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Right. The fact that you don't like somebody or that somebody rubs you the wrong way doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. Right. Like really horrible people can do wonderful things. Uh, you know, awful people can be great painters, great musicians, great writers, great teachers, great surgeons. That you know, you don't need to be a good person to do a lot of these things. And, and conversely really good people can do horrible things because they're afraid. I, I remember researching this famous um, experiment when, where people were sort of tricked into thinking that they were being told to cause pain to other people. And, um, uh if, fuck now i don't remember the name i wrote about this in civilized to death i don't remember the name of the researcher this was done in the 60s so basically what happened was they got a bunch of people on the university to come into a laboratory and there was like a window into another part of the laboratory and there was a person hooked up to what looked like electrodes and they said okay well what we want you to do is sit down here and that a dial there controls the amount of electricity that's going to the subject. And we're, we're testing how much electricity, blah, blah, blah. So please turn it up to two. And they would like turn the dial up to two. And then the person they'd see through the window would be like, uh, uh," and then they'd be like, okay, now turn it up to four. And, uh, uh," and they'd see the person suffering. Of course the person was faking it, right? There was no electricity happening, but they wanted to see how high they would turn up the electricity If they were given instructions by an official looking older person in a, you know, probably a white doctor's outfit with a stethoscope or whatever, an authority figure. And what they found was that a lot of people did. In fact, they would torture other people if they were told to. Some people said, fuck that. I'm not doing this. What are you crazy? And they get up and walk out. Other people sat there and just kept turning the dial up. Now, what kind of people do you think turned the dial up? Interesting. The good people. The people with good grades. The people who showed up on time. The people who did what they were told. (laughs) Those are the people who turn up the fucking dial. Those are the people who step over the homeless person without thinking twice about it. Those are the people who work at Monsanto and Raytheon and General Electric and Boeing making guidance systems for missiles and fucking napalm and whatever the fuck else they're making. Those are the people who go to sleep at night and their conscience doesn't trouble them because as far as they're concerned, they're doing the right thing if they're doing what they're told the people who said fuck this and refused to hurt the other people were the weirdos. The people who think for themselves. The people who question the premise. The people who question authority. I know some of you are out there saying, oh, you question authority, but you said we should wear masks. Yeah, yeah. I'm questioning your authority. (laughs) Okay? And you have every right to question mine and everyone else's. Um, But the fact that I question authority doesn't mean that you and I are always going to be on the same side. That's the point, right? Okay. Enough ranting. Mark Elliott. There's a link to his website. Uh, He's an interesting guy. He's, you might not agree with him, um, but I think you really need to respect him because, you know, he sticks, sticks to his guns. He's, someone who thinks for himself and we may not agree with him. We may have a different view of things, but you got to say this dude's got some balls and I appreciate that. So if you want to check out more about Mark, his website is Mark Elliott, M A R C e l l i o t E L L I O T.com. And uh, for those of you who subscribe on Substack, um uh, five bucks a month you can watch the video of this conversation if you like you'll that'll be arriving in your mailbox within moments all right now this song is a very interesting song i think i, I one of my favorite bands steely dan and i had known this song for years and i didn't know what it was about i knew it was it was a reposted to someone who was idealistic i knew that it was like oh come on man get serious you know stop dreaming what i didn't know until relatively recently is that this song was written specifically as a retort to john lennon's imagine so that's sort of an interesting conversation john lennon is saying You know, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No sky above, no hell beneath us, above us, only sky. Okay, beautiful. Great, John. These guys are saying, John, give it a fucking break, man. You're rich. You're younger than you realize. You are naive. You don't know how the fucking world works. It's an interesting conversation. And there's a spooky line in this song, too, where they say, Everybody on the street has murder in their eyes. You feel no pain and you're younger than you realize. Of course, John was shot, murdered on the street in New York City, 1980. I remember it well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I appreciate your attention, which is the most precious resource any of us has. So I'm very grateful for yours. Only a fool would say that. Steely Dan. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Elliott, and I will be back in your ear holes before you know it.
0: somehow It was you talking about a world where all is free. just couldn't be, and only a fool would say that. Only a fool
1: would say that. Only a fool would say that. un <laughs> 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 <inaudible> All right. So let's get started. I'm here with uh, Mark Elliott. Where are you? You're in New York somewhere? I happen to be, yeah, I'm in New York for a little bit right now. Cool. I've been all over the place.
2: Uh, This this past year, I was actually in Tucson, Arizona. Um, I was uh, visiting, actually, I was one of the visitors of seeing Keith Raniere in the uh, maximum security prison out there. Um, Um, And then unfortunately, I was banned along with other friends. So I'm uh a little bit back to being uh, more transient at the moment
1: you were banned from visiting him
2: yeah the uh obviously we'll we'll get into this more but due to um due to the the filing about the FBI tampering in his case uh the there's been a bunch of retaliation against keith in the prison yeah. uh which has been a very unfortunate situation and so they've actually banned all of his visitors um so his close contacts is his friends uh, a partner um uh, nikki klein uh, his uh, power of attorney sunil chakravorty it's it's been a very unfortunate situation and uh, even recently he's actually now been in the shoe for over 170 days now what's the shoe the shoe is a se- the segregated housing unit so about 170 days ago Keith was attacked in the prison somebody punched him sort of blindsided blind blindsided him and it's standard protocol that when two people are in a fight in a prison they're sent to the shoe um, oh. you know for them to do an investigation but you know very quickly the investigation showed that you know Keith was not the uh, uh aggressor in the situation was you know was attacked Right. Um, but despite being, um, you know, found innocent of any wrongdoing in the situation, they have continued to keep him in the shoe.
1: Right. Right. Um, uh, well, you know, and it's always it's, it's interesting. I made a point in, in I forget which book it was, but one of the books I wrote where, you know, it occurred to me that the worst punishment that we have short of execution is solitary confinement. You know, and it's it's a strange thing, because for those of us who haven't spent significant time in a maximum security prison, you would think like alone would be where I'd want to be. You know, keep me away from all those murderers. And, uh, you know, uh, but in fact, being alone is so painful for us as a highly social species um, that people would rather be. In there with the murderers and, you know, the, the guys who are possibly going to beat you up. That's better than being, you know, solitary confinement. It's, it's a strange commentary on, on our species.
2: Um, I I should know. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just, I just want to make one note. It's in this particular prison. He's actually with the roommate. So you're in a basically the, in a room the size of a bathroom for oh. 23 hours a day, oh, um, but it's still a very, very difficult situation. Uh, yeah.
1: So, um, well, that's, yeah. that's even worse. No,
2: no, reasons. no. It's yeah. It's, it's not a good situation at all. And as you said, I mean, no, even uh, I'm of the belief now, no matter what you've done. Um, I mean, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances, but the way that we treat people um, is sub, we, we treat animals better than the way that we treat humans in some of these prisons.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, as a bit of background, um it, it's interesting. you contacted me uh and w- before we started recording, we were talking about the circumstances of that and you were just googling podcasts and my name came up and um, but I had just happened to watch the episode of the Vow that features you. I think it's season two, episode four. Like literally within like 48 hours before I got an email from you. It was so crazy to be just sitting here watching this documentary. And then out of the blue, I get an email. Wait a minute. That's the guy I just watched last night. That's crazy. And I found that episode totally, you know, we'll talk about Keith and Nixium and, and all that. But, um, I just, I found that, uh, your story to be really compelling. Um, yeah, I imagine you've read Oliver Sacks, you know, and the man who mistook his I, wife for a hat, and all that.
2: I haven't read it, but I have heard of oh. uh, you know, I have heard of it. Yes.
1: Well, you, you should check him out. He's he's one of my favorite writers. Um, he's he was a neurologist, neuroscientist, and he was very interested in, uh, Tourette syndrome, among other uh, neurological disorders or diseases. And, uh, he wrote quite a bit about Tourette's and, and he's a very sympathetic, um, expert. You know, he, he doesn't write about people from a distance. He, he's very close to them and, and sort of interested in what they're going through in a non-judgmental sort of way. Um, and one of the things I remember in, in his discussions of Tourette's is that he found people with Tourette's to be extremely intelligent and very funny. Like, and you came across that way, your, your intelligence and your wit and your quickness. And so I'm not surprised that your life you know, has gone in some of the directions it's gone, where you've gone from, you know, obviously suffering from Tourette's to recovering to becoming a public speaker and being very successful, hyper articulate, very quick on your feet and all that. Um, it just reminded me of of reading Sachs years ago and how he said like, and also I was married to a psychiatrist for a long time. And one of the things she said was like, And she was talking about schizophrenics, but she's like, they know they're funny. They know the situation is ridiculous. Like, and because we would walk up to people, you know, in New York or like screaming at at demons and she would just walk up to them and be like, you're ridiculous. Stop doing that. And they'd laugh. and, And it was like, Jesus, I would never talk to somebody that way. But she, she was like, no, no, like get in there with them. You know what I mean? Don't stand out here saying, oh, you're different from me. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything really other than, uh, the fact that I found your story to be very sympathetic, even in a documentary that was very much about demonizing everybody who had any connection whatsoever with Nixium and Keith Ranieri. Um, yeah, so congratulations on that. <laughs>
2: I yeah the I mean again a funny coincidence I guess of the timing of of all that um I and thank you for what you said I mean obviously it's been an extraordinary journey of you know living with you know living with Tourette's was a very difficult thing I think sometimes the humor comes out of it's more of a comp uh, a way to compensate and you're trying Mm -hmm. to make everyone feel comfortable and that was just one way that I learned how to to deal with it so you know that was sort of chapter one chapter two is then becoming a a public speaker uh you know with it and it was a speech about compassion and tolerance and using my experience of um just, just like a very basic level of tolerance you know it's not very different from where we're at in society now about oh we need to love everyone and accept everyone and my whole thing from my experience with Tourette's was look you don't have to under even understand me. You don't even have to be okay with me. Just understand. You don't necessarily know what's going on. Right. And if you have more of, if you can just take, become a little bit less reactive, take a, take more of a, a deep breath, I guess, if you want to say um, when, when you're reacting to something, just recognize you don't know. You don't ultimately know. And hopefully that can give you more space to have a little bit more compassion for a situation. So that was, you know, chapter two. And then, of course, I found executive success programs uh, where I was introduced to Keith Ranieri and Nancy Solzman, and I ended up beating my Tourette's completely mind over body, which was documented um, in The Vow. Of course, what is now sort of chapter four um, is, you know, with what happened with me, and it was shown in the episode in The Vow, um, I think it was episode three, uh, we ended up helping other people beat Tourette's. So, and that, I mean, there's no way to even begin to describe what it's like if, you know, here I lived with Tourette's, I think I'm going to have Tourette's the rest of my life because I have a neurological genetic involuntary disorder to now I'm sitting in a room with another person with Tourette's and I am witnessing in front of my eyes and being able to participate in helping somebody overcome their Tourette's in four hours, I I don't have a lot of words to describe that. And sometimes, I mean, even I feel it now. It can become very emotional for me because it's it's almost I've never had this situation, but it feels like it would be reminiscent of like you know someone that has cancer and you give them a a vial of you know some you know something and and their their cancer is gone. Yeah. Um. So that was you know extraordinary now to be in a position where the US government has come in and basically terrorized a wonderful community of people that was nonviolent. And, you know, their mission was to somehow go after this, this gentleman named Keith Raniere, because he's such a bad guy. I, you know, one, if Keith Raniere, people believe he did something bad. Well, that's great. Well, then you can come in, you can do an investigation, you can hold someone accountable, accountable, but that's not what they did. They took a blowtorch to everything that was Nexium, to everyone that was involved in that community and destroyed absolutely everything, including the Tourette's project. Uh, so it's, you know, the, the, the a journey that I never thought I would be on. Um, but it's, you know, this is a very difficult time right now. One, obviously, because, you know, my friends have, been wrongfully convicted. Um, we're trying to expose that, uh, and you know, it's part of the reason I reached out to you because we now have the evidence that shows that the FBI participated in tampering with the child pornography, uh, charges in the case. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and, and just related to the Tourette's, I, you know, particularly after the episode came out, I'm, I'm receiving many emails from people begging for my help. You know, they see this. I was on a phone call a month ago. A mom called me uh, or she had emailed me and emailed me. And lots of times I don't even respond. I don't even know what to say to them right now. Yeah. And uh, she calls me saying, you know, please. Um, she was saying that my son, you know, his his ticks are so bad. His he's he's lost his front teeth. Oh, man. So, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't think that the documentary in any way captures any of that. It's clear that they were on a mission to um, to promote a very specific narrative of who Keith Raniere is um, and how somehow Nexium is a criminal organization um, and this you know horrible thing that somehow. Um, Really somehow has the ability to, uh, excavate. This is the words of someone who has, uh, a gentleman named Mark Vicente, who, who you saw in, in the, in the vow in one of his podcasts. He says, you know, ESP and XCM, they really exca- they they know how to excavate your soul. And you're like, what is it even? It's like, it's just so crazy to think that some people sitting in a room having a conversation can, can excavate somebody's soul. Like, what? like, like, you know what? So it's um uh, I know that was a lot. And, and, and uh, but it's been very difficult and uh, obviously it's, it's been a very rewarding journey, but this is a very difficult time.
1: Yeah. What is like, let's just stick with Tourette's for a few minutes here. What do you think is going on? Uh, I mean, I know. Obviously there's a, there's a spectrum of people uh with, Severity, you know, ranging from barely perceptible to can't communicate at all. Um, you know, this kid you're talking about losing his teeth. I mean, obviously, that's a very severe case. I know you, you were born with, uh, what's it called, Hirschsprung's disease. Um, so you had some medical issues as a child and um, clearly Definitely. anyone would have been traumatized by all that. Do you think that the Tourette's was in any way uh, a reaction to the sort of medical history you had as a kid?
0: You
2: know, my understanding of Tourette's has so drastically changed, particularly, go, you know, going through the courses. And um, and I think it's important for people to know, you know, the classes are had nothing to do with Tourette's. It has nothing to do with medical conditions. These are courses where people... Um, it's really philosophical inquiry into yourself about your emotions, about fears, about, uh, societal concepts, all these sorts of things. It's, it's literally sitting in a class having a conversation. I mean, just like how you and I are having a conversation, but it's, um, you know, very specific questions to help you ultimately build self-awareness around certain things. So when I was, you know, before the moment I took the class, as I said before, here, I have this neurological genetic disorder that's involuntary, has no cure. How many times I said that in my life? I would, you know, if I had a nickel every time I said that before, you know, I'd be a rich man. There's, there's, um, that was a static belief that I had. And also, and I, and I think you would understand this with the, you know, the type of research that you've done. It wasn't even a belief. It's not even like that was like, Oh, that's just a thing that I think that's just, it was like the law of gravity. Right. It's not even something that's questionable. And, and like I said, you must, with the things that you, you've looked at, it's just so in your indoctrination. It's not, you get, I think you get my, my, my point. So now after going through the courses and, and having more of these realizations on my own, I came to realize for me, and this is for me, this is not a blanket statement for everyone with Tourette's. Um, And I, we've never had said that we had a cure. The only people that have said that supposedly we have a cure are people who don't like us. Mm. But if you look at any of the marketing, any of the things with the Tourette's movie, anything, we've never said this was a cure. It, this was a set of tools to help certain individuals overcome their Tourette's if they so wanted to do so. And we thought that they were a good fit for it. And what I came to understand is is that my Tourette's was way more emotional and psychological than it was physiological. Mm.
1: So you think framing it as a neurological disorder is a mistake from the get go?
2: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a. I mean, a mistake is you know. To, is it a mistake? I guess. It's, I guess it depends on how you would define mistake. But what I would say is this. I, I would say it is a mistake to say that to a child.
0: Mm.
2: It's a mistake in the sense of um, with the nature of how we develop as a child through our understanding of the world, our understanding of how things work, of beliefs, all that, as you know, is cemented when you're a child. So if you are a child and then you're told, hey, you have this neurological disorder that's involuntary why then would you grow up believing anything different? Right. Why would you, how would you even begin to have a self-awareness to be able to even think that you could even question that? Particularly if you have a whole world of doctors and scientists who are codifying that whole thing. Right. So I guess you could say, you know, is a mistake in that way, but it's not just about Tourette's. It's about, You know, a label can be good because it's an easy way to talk about something. The question is, do you believe that you are the label and that your identity is shaped from that label? And that's where I was. I had Tourette's. I'm this neurological disorder. I am my physiology. I am stuck. I am a victim. But it's not that I was saying all these things. Sure. So I really have just changed. Changed a lot of it's like I've had a whole fundamental sort of perceptual shift of how I how I view it and how I think about it now
1: yeah yeah it reminds me of the the differing views of addiction right like addiction is a disease you are an alcoholic you can never touch alcohol again because you're incapable of you know as opposed to you've got a uh, an unhealthy relationship with a substance that's an expression of something that's going on inside you. So let's get at that. It's not about the booze or the gambling or exactly. whatever. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. It's, it's
0: just,
2: most of us don't want to look. And again, I was not like this before I went, you know, to these classes per se, but, you know, most of us don't want to, to turn inward. Most of us don't want to look at ourselves. whether, and I'm not just talking about addiction. I mean, again, I know that you have, you've done so much research about sexuality and sex. Those are things that most people don't want to talk about. It doesn't, it's super uncomfortable. It brings up all sorts of shit for people. And, you know, it's way easier in life. And again, this relates very much to the whole Nexium case or whatever it is, just to say, you know what, that thing is the problem. That thing makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to look at why am I uncomfortable about
1: this? Right. And, yeah, yeah, it's but, fascinating. I mean the whole as you say this is a this is a, a window into a much larger discussion about inhibition um you know even Tourette's, like it, I read I read a I had a woman on the podcast years ago now. Um she's a psycho- psychologist at Stanford, I think Lerman, I think her name is. Um and she wrote about how People all over the world hear voices. right? Everybody hears voices in their heads, right? But for some people that manifests as schizophrenia or psychosis, but even among people who are who consider themselves to be psychotic and one of the um, one of the symptoms of psychosis is hearing these auditory hallucinations. Um it's really interesting because in some cultures, what like she she looked at India and somewhere in West Africa and the United States. So typically the voices of the United States are horrible. They're you're a you're ugly, you're you're horrible, you're gonna die, you need to kill yourself. There are these really nasty, ugly messages. Whereas in West Africa, the messages might be, today's a good day to clean the house, you know, or you should help your cousin. Or, you know, and the same thing in India, the, there's still voices, but the voices are kind of friendly and supportive. <laughs> it's, so it's so interesting how these same phenomena can exist, but when they're interpreted through cultural beliefs, they can, be, they can manifest as illness, right? Or exactly. something, in, something innocuous and, and not a problem at oh. all.
2: The way that I describe what you're talking about, and this is the way that I think about Tourette's. And again, I'm sorry, I'm qualifying so much in this way, but it's this no, it's is necessary. for me.
1: Yeah,
2: it's yeah. for me. This is. I've been on a long journey, and um, this is not for everyone. But ultimately, for me, in the simplest way, Tourette's syndrome for me is an impulse disorder. Right. It's an impulse. It's I have a bad feeling here, and this is how I get rid of that bad feeling. <laughs> I feel better. Yeah. Now the thing is what makes that different from, uh, you know, that you could call a neurological disorder. But if I feel uncomfortable and now I go to the refrigerator, well, that's just you getting a snack. Right. That's not a disorder, you know, and it shouldn't be a disorder. I should, I don't think you should call that a disorder. (laughs) We don't want to look at as we as human beings are very, very impulsive. It's inherent in from when we were a cave person and we are still very, you know, run by these very primitive and animalistic feelings that we have. And that doesn't make us bad. It's just very human. And so the question is, okay, can, do I want to evolve that to change that? That's something again, before I went and I took these courses, that wasn't even in, uh, in my, the, it wasn't even in another universe of thought. I mean it's like how I wouldn't even be thinking about anything like that. Right. Thank God I one found courses that that could take me on a journey to help me look at myself like that. And then also that I was I wanted to go on that journey. And the courses allowed me, you know, um in a very gentle way to explore that. So that I think is um is very uh consistent among all humans and in, in all different content areas yeah. of, of whatever that is. And um,
1: so, yeah, some people bite their fingernails, right? Yes. I, I, I think it's kind of the same thing, right? And it, yes. I mean, there are many situations where I've, I've been in a social situation and I wanted to just scream, fuck, you know, yes. <laughs> I mean, and who hasn't is, experienced just- that?
2: Yes. And I think, which is what's important though, is that again, it's not like when a, a kid who has what you want to call the label of Tourette's in that way, because, you know, they've been told they have Tourette's, the difference of what it is for somebody maybe biting their nails now. And then someone for a kid who has Tourette's, because like I was taking the N word in public is that you codify that so intensely early on yeah. and it becomes a positive feedback loop. And the other thing is because that is, that discomfort is very, very intense. So therefore, instead of it being just like an, I always describe it as an itch and a scratch. You know, the itch is the, what you want to call the Tourette's and then the scratch is me getting rid of that bad feeling. For someone that deals with Tourette's, that's like having a hundred itches in one spot. Mm. And of course, as a child, I had no distinction between, oh, well, this is an itch and now I'm scratching it. It was all. You know, one thing. Right. So I, you know, do know that it's, it's very hard for people that are dealing with Tourette's in that way to just stop. I mean, if it was that easy, I'm just, you know, I would have done that. Right. But that, you know,
1: that wasn't the case. And it, it's fucked up too, because I can see how the labeling of someone and giving someone the sort of d- disease diagnosis can come from a place of compassion. Right. Like don't beat this kid up. He's not oh screaming God. that word to offend anyone. He's got a disease. Right? And so the, not only Go ahead. Yes,
2: absolutely. It, well, it was comforting for me. Yeah. Why am I doing why am I doing all these things? And, yeah. and oh my God, great. I have Tourette's. Oh my God, we can put that to rest now. Right.
1: Right. Which then seals you in. I mean, it kind of seals your fate, yes. right? So it's a double-edged sword. You know, what does is is there something about social hypocrisy that's triggering? Um, And and I know you're only speaking about your own experience, but like when you're when you're on a bus with black people and white people and and you're feeling this racial tension and you start screaming the N word, which is like, Let I mean, in a way, it's like saying, you know, let's look at what everyone's not talking about here. You know? I, I don't
2: know this for me. I can just tell you, I, my itch, that Tourette itch was, you know, I had sort of an interplay with OCD, which again, in my mind is not a different thing. It's just right, a manifestation right. of, of a different, I have a bad feeling and the only way it's going to get better is if I put my hand down the garbage disposal, which I used to do, <laughs> oh, if no. I say the N word, whatever it is. And for me, it was, you know, I, the way that my mind was, I said, what's the riskiest thing I could say right now? Mm. And that would become the itch and that, that wouldn't go away until I would do it. Right. That at the core is an impulse disorder. That's, uh, I have an urge and I don't know how not to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: I don't know. There could be a lot of factors as to why some people say certain things for me. It was, I was actively thinking, what's the worst thing that I could say? I had no control in not even saying that to myself. Right. So I just had such little, little control. Um, and, uh, so, and, and that's the journey that I've, um, been on, not of, the other thing, what what makes and again, why this is so sad of what has happened to Keith, what's happened to Nancy, all the community. With what I've described to you is the itch and the scratch. That most people that I talk to with Tourette's fundamentally understand like they get that that thing. The way that our society deals with most medical conditions is not unique to Tourette's, is that if you have the itch and then you have the scratch, okay, well. I can do, we can try to target the itch. So what's like the main thing to get rid of the itch for people? What do what what happens for most people? If they go to a doctor. Yeah. They're prescribed medicine. If you numb the itch, then all of a sudden you don't have the same desire to scratch. Now that's a wonderful thing for some people. I was on a bunch of drugs. The problem is the side effects are insane. And I was like, I was comatose basically. I almost did a fifth year of high school because I was so drugged out. So, you know, you take the medication, if it works for some people, great, because now I'm not ticking. I don't have to get rid of it. The other thing is there's other ways to deal with the tick. So that could be like things like hypnosis, cognitive behavioral therapy. So now you still feel the itch. The itch is still there, but you start to think, okay, can I do something else with that itch? Again, that's a great thing if it can work for someone, but that's fucking hard because you've got the itch still. So the question is, what if it's the case that you could figure out what is causing the itch in the first place? And as I started to work all these different aspects of myself, of figuring out my anger issues, my compassion issues, Mm -hmm. my where where some of my, uh, you know, what you saw on the vow areas in which my life in which I'm disintegrated, meaning like I'm not integrous about how I'm living my life. I say one thing, but I do the other. All those, you know, those things cause internal turmoil for people, whether or not they're aware of it. Yeah. As I started to work those things, the most incredible thing happened my itch started to go down. So it's not like I was just holding back and suppressing and I still feel this itch. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't have Tourette's. No, no. It's actually internally the itch was dissipating. Right. And so now do I still have the itch? Yes. I don't think I have to even say I have Tourette's syndrome is just would be so a Offensive and assaulting to somebody who actually mm. is experiencing serious threats. But my itch right now is probably a three, three percent, which mm. is ins- which is crazy through conversations. And what took and this is a, I don't know if you saw the movie, but here with what Keith created is that it took me about a year and a half to get down 90 percent. Now I was not going through any particular Tourette's project. I was taking these courses organically on my own. I was paying for them and obviously I kept trying to do as much as I could. But with speaking and all that, um so I did a, my a main 16-day course the first summer and then the following summer I went back for more courses and in that year and a half I got down 90%. In the documentary My Tourette's after we had already then started to replicate this with other people. And I went out trying to find people with Tourette's in the movie. You can see firsthand, you witness that someone that had lived with severe Tourette's for over a decade in four hours, their Tourette's was down about 90% just through a conversation. The reason that this is so horrific is here. You have a man who has been sentenced to 120 years in prison with not a single charge of violence, weapons, drugs, or even having sex with somebody. And that is the same person who supposedly created an organization that destroys people's lives and hurts people. And yet here you have a documentary out there in the world showing that this organization was profoundly helping people.
1: And nobody knows about it. Well, you, said and so- he, you said he wasn't even charged with uh, sex crimes, but wasn't he convicted of having sex with a 15-year-old girl?
2: I'm glad you're asking so I can be very, very clear about this. Because this, I think, really shows the power of media and when you have people who are very vested about um, propagating a very specific narrative out there. Nexium, which is supposedly now known around the world as a sex cult, right? If like someone knows, like they don't know about the Tourette's, they know, oh, the sex cult and the brand, you know, something like that, right? Keith Ranieri was charged... With sex trafficking and forced labor. So the sex trafficking charge is, this was someone that he was in a relationship with. It's one woman received oral sex from another woman and no
1: money was exchanged. Right, but it increased her status within the organization so they considered that sex trafficking. That was nonsense. Yeah, I, I just saw that they, this morning.
2: That's how they concocted it. Right. So Keith Raniere... I'm just, I'm just saying this so people even know the sex trafficking. Because when people think of sex trafficking, what comes to mind?
1: Yeah.
2: Horrific images of people being taken from another country and thrown into sex slavery and all these. Okay. So sex trafficking is this 29-year-old actress who's in the community, was a friend of mine, living a very normal life, and one time had a very kinky experience that was consensual.
1: Uh, no yeah. money was...
2: It- No money was exchanged. Yeah. And Keith didn't even have sex. with Keith wasn't even in the sex act. Right. He was charged federal sex trafficking, the forced labor charge. The same girl transcribed five hours of video for a memorial of one of the leaders in our community who died. And she read, I think it was 50 articles that Keith had written forced labor he was convicted of. Yeah. Now, with respect to the question you had of didn't he have sex with a 15-year-old, in this trial that was one of the most high-profile criminal cases maybe in the last 20 years, particularly in the last 10 years in New York City, where you have a year investigation with the FBI, which is probably one of the most uh, resourceful and powerful investigative bodies in in, in the world. There's not a single charge of Keith Ranieri having sex with somebody. He was convicted 55 days before trial. All of a sudden, the FBI found child pornography, not on a camera, not on his computer, not on a media card, on a random external hard drive in one of the houses that he that he frequented. And I just want to say because, uh, as you know from, from everything that you know of uh, that you study, child pornography is just like black box. Like you can't talk about it. This is not child pornography of children having sex. The FBI found 22 photos of a naked woman. They didn't know that it was child pornography based off the photo itself. It's just a naked woman. The way they were able to determine that she was 15 years old was based on the file data. Right. Does that makes sense. It's not like, because it's like a 5-year-old. It's this is a this right. is a woman. Right. So, but they also said that he's the one who took the photo and then he was charged with sexual exploitation of a minor. And that was 55 days right. before trial. Well, and they so also here, they
1: also have texts of him and the woman that they referred to as Camilla in the documentary uh, you know, she's sending him photos and he's asking for more photos. And I, I I mean, I don't know to what extent you want to get into the specifics, but I, like I was saying to you before we started recording, I, I see the perspective of people in the Nixium community saying, okay, this is a, this is a scam trial. This was done in a very unfair way. There's a lot of media manipulation. Obviously, anytime sex is involved in American society, things get blown out of proportion. You know, it, it sure it's very easy to use sex to both uh, demonize someone and to attract a lot of public attention. You know, so it's, it's a great tool for fucking people over. On the other hand, I gotta say, Keith Raniere comes across to me as a creep. Um, he's he's a fraud. He lied about his past. He lied about degrees that he didn't have. He ran pyramid schemes before he founded Nixium. So I also see – now, that doesn't mean that the guy deserves to spend his life in prison. There are lots of people who I consider to be pretty creepy who – are in positions of leadership and great wealth and status. So it's, that's, that's neither here nor there, but I guess what I'm getting at is, is, is there an element? I don't know. I I also want to say that the, the episode I watched about you, I have to say I was touched by your loyalty. I was touched by the fact that you were like, this guy taught me something that, Helped me immensely and I'm not going to abandon him. I'm not going to walk away from him. And I think that's a beautiful impulse. Uh, and I admire it in you. On the other hand, the world is full of fucked up people who say really interesting, intelligent things. Mm-hmm. Right? The where, I mean, there are a lot of surgeons who are probably horrible people, but they're really good surgeons. And if that surgeon saved your life, that doesn't mean that he's a good person. It Absolutely, means he's a good surgeon. I I
2: have everything you're saying. I appreciate, and I uh, can answer just a couple things. The way, so I am. Um, yeah, cause there, there were so many different things. The first thing I just want to say, I'm, I'm not, I told you before the podcast, I'm not, my intent is not to come on here to defend every sort of content point about Keith's life that he didn't like, this is what they said, but this isn't true. It's just impossible for me. I could talk to you about some specific things, um, that, you know, to help, you know, sort of educate about some of the, this the ridiculousness of what is out there. What I have been fighting for for the last four years is for Keith Raniere's due process and exposing crimes that the government has committed to convict a man. The way that the vow edited and used our interviews was highly unethical in my experience. They, you know, here they were, they, you know, they said that they were trying to bring in another side, but the, what's so funny is whether it's myself or Eduardo or Nikki or Michelle or, or Sunil, we keep saying well, there's these injustices. There's this, this trial is an injustice. But never once did they enumerate what those injustices were that we were talking about. Instead, it just looks like we're these people saying, well, no, Keith is a good guy. This is an injustice. I am not loyal to Keith Raniere. I am loyal to myself and my integrity and the principles that I have in my own life. What I have witnessed in front of me is a grave injustice against American citizens. Now, whether or not someone believes that Keith Raniere is the devil or not, you can think whatever you want about him, what I care about and what I did not know before this experiences is the dark underbelly of the justice system that here, if you have powerful people and who colludes with the media, they can put anyone they want in jail. I am not out there just haphazardly saying Keith Raniere is a good guy. You should like him. What we have brought forth is scientific evidence that the FBI tampered with the child pornography while it was in their possession. The media card that came from that camera was altered. This is in the trial under the FBI, under the prosecution's own witness. They testified to this, that it was modified while in their possession. It is so messed up to think that you could have a, glo- a, a, a high-profile criminal case that's broadcasted to the world, and these FBI agents had, were brazen enough to know, and the prosecutors could allow it that they could do this, and no one would give a fuck. But it isn't took there three years. But I mean, but I just want to make clear Mark, that that's what I am. Yeah, but that's what I'm fighting for. When I, it's not yeah. that I, uh, and you know, it's it's funny too that you say about the surgeon because you mentioned uh, it's a funny uh, example or a metaphor because a surgeon actually saved my life because of the intestinal things i should not be here i should be dead yeah. i had an amazing surgeon her name her name is dr turnberg she died like 8 years ago i had seven operations experimental surgeries i had an ileostomy i don't have a single memory of this but i do have a memory of my surgeon because she was like a fairy godmother to me she was like a second mom yeah. i am forever grateful f- To her, however, if she ever committed a crime that I thought she did, I have the ability to have discernment and go. You know what? She saved my life, but I can also hold her accountable. The way that HBO makes it seem is if somehow I don't have the ability to critically think and I can't evaluate, and so I'm sort of this drone saying Keith Raniere is God. I am grateful for the tools that Keith created. I have a new life because of that and the work that I've put in. If I thought that there was a crime that he committed. I would be happy to stand up and say that, but even if I thought this is, and this is the last thing I'll say, and this was one of the most profound moments I had in these last three years. And I realized that even if I thought Keith Ranieri was guilty of all these crimes, which I don't believe that, but even if I thought I should continue to fight for his due process, because that is a fight for all of us, nowhere in the, in the U S society, should we be okay with the government committing crimes to, to put a man in prison. And unfortunately, right, because right. of the prejudice and hate surrounding this, standing for due process in the case in the case of Keith Raniere, where when it really matters, all of a sudden makes me a brainwash
1: follower. Well, okay, but let me push back on that a little bit. Um, I, I had a guy in the podcast a year or two ago. Stephen Donziger is his name. He's a Harvard-trained lawyer, Harvard Law School. He went down. He's a really fucking awesome dude, really good dude. He went to Ecuador and this is like back in the eighties or nineties and he saw uh, what was happening to the native people in Ecuador where Texaco later purchased by Chevron was dumping waste into the rivers and streams and just giant pools of, of oil contamination in the jungle. They didn't do anything to clean it up. These native people were dying from cancer at crazy rates. There's the fish were all dead that they'd been, you know, living on for centuries. It just totally destroyed their world, right? One of the most pristine ecosystems in the world, most species per square mile anywhere on the planet, Mm -hmm. just incredible injustice. So he represented these people, uh, brought a lawsuit against Chevron one, $3 billion penalty against Chevron, right. In Ecuador. So then Chevron said, uh, fuck that we're based in the U S we don't need to pay anything in Ecuador. And they, you know, played some games so that their operations in Ecuador were run by some subsidiary and it wasn't actually Chevron and, you know, how they corporations do this. So he refiled the lawsuit in New York, won the lawsuit in the United States, and then was... Uh, the the Justice Department looked into bringing charges against him because Chevron filed all these complaints. The Justice Department said, no, this is ridiculous. We're not filing any charges against this guy. So Chevron went out and hired a law firm, and the law firm brought charges against him, not even the government. And I didn't even know this was possible. The government declines to prosecute, but a company can hire Another company to prosecute. He spent three years in house arrest with an ankle bracelet on. They revoked his law license. They've taught, they've tried to make an example of him, right? Why do I bring this up? This is a really good dude who's defending the rights of people who are, you know, have no voice. He is very powerful. As I said, he's a Harvard, you know, Harvard trained lawyer. Obviously, he's got lots of friends, Roger Waters and Sting and all these famous people were going to visit him in his apartment and, you know, talking about his case and all this. And this guy gets fucked by the criminal justice system in the U.S. Of course, Keith Raniere is going to get fucked. Keith Raniere is nobody. Keith Raniere is this this creepy guy who's branding women and he's got his little sex thing going on. And, you know, far be it for me to, to condemn him for that, but I guess what I'm saying is maybe I'm jaded, um, But but your crusade to save Keith comes across to me as naive. Dude, how many people are in prison because they had a nickel bag of weed <laughs> in 1987? Why not defend them? Right.
2: Hold on. I thought you said you were pushing back. It sounds like you, you agree
1: in some sense with what I'm saying. Of course I agree with the premise, but what I'm saying, what I'm, what I'm curious about is I think the reason people think you're brainwashed is that you're taking all this passion and this righteous anger, uh, which I think is well-founded and you're employing it in defense of a guy who doesn't deserve it. I don't think he deserves to be in prison. But I don't think he deserves so much loyalty either, because clearly, I mean, you say the FBI manipulated the media file, but do you really think he didn't have photos of this 15-year-old girl on his phone? All those text messages, the branding of women, I mean, there's some creepy fucked up shit going on, which... Keith is himself a victim, too, I'm sure. I don't know what happened to him in his childhood, but, you know, victims victimize. That's the way the world works. But I guess, and I've been talking too long here, but my point is, like, why defend him? You're right. The system's fucked up. A lot of innocent people are in prison. But I feel like there are a lot of people are more deserving of your advocacy than he is. I understand. Um, one,
2: I just want to say a, a lot of the perceptions that you have about Keith, it's not that I think it's weird that you that it's not that it's not like that. I don't understand why you think that. Like even just a, you saying something like he branded women, that's not even true. Again, based off what's out there in the media, that is what is portrayed. Keith Ranieri had no participation. He wasn't branding anyone. He didn't use that. He wasn't in the room even. But that's a kind of thing that can be easily taken out of context and amplified around the world. And it's incredibly salacious. So just know that's most of the facts about this case are like that. This was not women were not branded against their will. This was a secret society in which women were proactively told that if you want to join, you're going to get a brand. And they did it. The reason this became an issue is because this is women and there's the reality is there's men, there's men organizations, secret societies, there's NFL players that have brands. Nobody gives a fuck because they're guys. So just note, this is not, this is not about the due process thing, but it's important to note. And I think this will make, this makes sense to you a lot with a lot of the the research you've done in your life is that this case brings up so much stuff because there's so much about men and women issues. Yeah. In my personal opinion this is a case that's actually anti-feminism. It's actually saying women we cannot allow women to make own, their own decisions in their life. You yeah. are children, you are babies, yeah. you are toddlers, you're an infant. Yeah. And that's ultimately why this case exposes so much shit for people. The reality is these women wanted to do something on their own and it was secret, nobody knew. And particularly because of of uh, I saw your your uh your TED Talk Ultimately, and again, this is not about the due process thing. This is just a general thing about the case. Keith Ranieri was not a playboy. Keith Ranieri was not out there talking about all of his partners. This is, this is just uh, embarrassing for me. I approached. So I, people could think whatever rumors they want or they thought about his life. He was, he lived a private life in that way. It was completely separate. It was, uh, I approached like four or five of the people that he's partners with to date, because I had no idea. You know, I found this out after it's like, yeah. how embarrassing, you know, of course they said no to me because they're 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 that, that um Keith was their partner. The reality is, is that Keith lived a very different type of life. It was unconventional. It wasn't even polyamorous. He had multiple deep relationships. Some of them were 40, 30, 20, 15 years long. And we as a society are just so messed up about sex. We're so messed up about the dynamic between men and women. And I say this all the time to people. Here you have Keith Raniere that could have 20 long-term partners, deep relationships that are not about sex. He's in relationships with people, deeply committed relationships, 20 of them. That's a problem. But Mark Elliott, I can go in 20 different nights. I can have sex with 20 different women, be an asshole, screw them over and that's fine. Yeah. So this yeah. just, again, this is just a general thing. It brings up so much unconscious, subconscious fears for people, which makes it very difficult for people to evaluate rationally. So you have all that on top of the government colluding with the media. And people going on a national uh, campaign that they're victims in an organization that they were promoting for 10 years and made millions of dollars in love. And yet somehow they're a victim. Yeah. And just one last thing I'll say, Sarah Edmondson, who's all over the vow. One of the things that kicked this off is she was on the front page of the New York Times showing her brand, saying in an article that somehow she was told she was going to get a tattoo, but then she got a brand. <laughs> First off, if that was true, how fucked up would that be? Could you, that's, that's assault and battery. Yeah. That's torture. Yeah. Can you imagine someone says, I'm going to give you a tattoo. And then they bring out a cauterizing pet. The reality is Sarah Edmondson, for reasons in her own life, which I understand, she had to use cognitive dissonance and then go on a campaign to make sure that she could never be wrong about the choices that she made. It's clearly shown and it was in trial. Sarah Edmondson knew that she was going to get a brand. Sarah Edmondson (laughs) lied and she went on the front page of the New York Times and lied across the world. Yeah. This was at the height of the, this was at the height of the Me Too movement. And we're living in a time that, you know, somehow, and and this is, I'm even scared to say this, but the whole thing of you can, you know, believe all women is crazy.
0: Yeah. I
2: don't believe all women. I don't believe all men. I believe in due process. Yeah. I believe in the scientific process. And if a woman says I was raped, that doesn't mean we should discount it. It and and there's been a completely disproportionate throughout history of women not being heard. But that doesn't mean that because that we have made mistakes throughout history and treated people like shit, that we should now discount rational thought, discount due process, and discount rational dialogue. And and so again, I know that this is a lot, but This is what I'm also fighting for. This is what I have become more deeply connected to. And I completely disagree that this is not a good case to do it with. The reality is, is that Keith Raniere is a white educated male. And this happened to him. Yes, I am fighting for him because one, this happened in front of me. You know, if, if, if my friends are getting beat up on the street, it is scary to intervene because you might get hurt. And it's a very vulnerable thing. And the reality is my friends had their lives destroyed in front of me and crimes were committed against them. Do I just walk away? And that's been a very difficult decision to make over and over again. Say, no, you know what? What I've seen here is not good. Do I believe that Keith Raniere is a good man? Yes. But what I've come to understand is that even if somebody doesn't think Keith Raniere is a good man, okay, that's fine. What I think we can agree upon is, is that government actors cannot under any circumstance commit a crime to convict a human being. And that is what I'm fighting for. And so yeah. what just the last thing I'll say is here on this note, yes, to what you said of all the, all the black men that are in jail because of, they've been completely fucked over. They have no voice. Nobody cares in general. Keith Raniere is in a position where it is a glo- has global attention It has media and it has documentaries and all these sorts of things. And so it's an opportunity and a platform. It doesn't mean Keith Raniere is special. It means he has an opportunity that all those black people, all those minorities do not have because most people just don't care because for most people like me, we live a privileged life before any of this happened. I, I was afraid of getting a speeding ticket because that's the life. you know, I'm just completely shielded from the, 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 the. the darkness of what happens in the justice system. So the reason that this is the perfect case is because it is so well known. And now we have seven digital forensic experts, four former FBI that are saying that the FBI tampered with digital evidence to, to that participated in some of the most heinous charges that can get a man killed in prison. This is, we can catch them. We have them by the toe. Whether it's a hated man or not, it doesn't matter to me. And the reality is, is when someone is the most hated, it is when it is most important for there to be due process. I tell people all the time, due process is like a nice bumper sticker. Try when it real when the rubber meets the road is when it matters the most. And we have that here. So he's we have a hated man that people think is is fucking horrible. Okay, fine do you believe that it's okay to circumvent the justice system to yeah. circumvent due process, to put that man in jail and what I have come to. And that's what, and that's what I realized. That's what I'm loyal to. Does it appear that I'm just like loyal to Keith? Yes. I get that. There's that appearance, but I realize that that is what I, that is at a, the very core. One reason why I'm doing this. And another reason is because I want to help people with Tourette's again. I but, want to, bring yeah. back, and that's an important thing too. So, I know that's a lot, but I hope that makes sense. And I hope that doesn't sound crazy what I'm saying when you just hear me say
1: it in that way. It, no, it doesn't sound crazy at all. And, and I keep thinking when you're, when you're speaking, I keep thinking, I hope this guy takes this passion and broadens it out into larger campaigns for victims' rights or for, you know, the Innocence Project or for something more general. Cause I fear, I fear that, that what you're doing, and I know, I mean, dude, seriously, I don't know if, if you are, you know, naive or I am just an old grumpy fuck or both, but I, I keep thinking like, how are you surprised that the government fucks people? How, how is that surprising because and shocking? I- they're fucking people because, day and night.
2: Because I grew up very sheltered. Yeah. I grew... And this is no offense to Jewish people or or being white or being privileged. I'm just saying I grew up privileged. Yeah. I did not know. Well, now you do. I had an amazing family. <laughs> I had an amazing family. Yeah. I had an incredible support system. I did not know. Yeah. And I am... Uh, you know, yes. Maybe, maybe because... You know, you're older and I'm younger and so forth, but you're also talking to someone that beat something that people did not believe was possible in the world. I believe it can only change if people believe it changes. And what most people think is that the way that the justice system is going to happen is if you pour more money into it and you make all these programs, which is crazy. The way that it can change drastically is if you hold people accountable. The justice system, uh, Keith Keith has a podcast and he says this. He goes, you could have either or you could have a really bad justice system, like with really bad laws. But if you had good people, ethical people running that system, it would be a pretty good thing, even with bad laws, because they are ethical people running it. But it, But if you have a system that has really good laws and like in general, we have a pretty good justice system in terms of like the structure of it. But if you have unethical people that are running that system, it doesn't matter what you do. So here you have a a situation where we have scientific evidence that shows that these FBI agents committed crimes ultimately. Or at least, no, I mean, that's all I'll say. I mean, that shows that beyond reasonable, not not beyond a reasonable doubt, what I'm saying is well beyond probable cause that serious, serious, um, most likely crimes took place here. Yeah. And this is how it changes. We have yeah. an opportunity where the, when imagine if the whole world is watching this case and it comes up and we're trying to get this in front of the judge, the judge has seemed to be complicit in not looking at this evidence yet. Imagine the opportunity that the United States has. And here you has one of the most high profile criminal cases and, and, Somebody comes out and says, I don't care what this man did. What is worse than anything he could have ever done is the United States commit a crime against him. And they let him free because he should be free because he did not receive due process. That in itself could completely change the entire justice system and could put every prosecutor, every FBI agent on notice saying, we're done with this. The reason why <clears throat> the reason why minorities are experiencing what they have experienced in this nation with the justice system is because, and this gets back to impulses, people put their prejudice over justice, how they feel over justice. It's at the very core, it's how I feel, which is not necessarily rooted in reality. It's not necessarily Rooted in justice or due process, how I feel is more important than the law, than due process. That's, why that's what has happened to Black people. is as right, and that's why there's a, a lot of anger out there. Is that there's people that are prejudiced that do not care. Yeah. So, at what point does it stop? Yeah. The buck has to stop somewhere, and 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 so I'm saying for me in my life, I want it to stop. Yeah. And I have an opportunity. To do that here, I hope so. Is it naive? I, I, it's. I mean, I guess you could say it's naive in some way. You know, I, I get it. We're going up against a global, a a global superpower that has no desire to relinquish power. uh, You know, of the United States government,
1: but it's the right thing to do. I just hope that your your passion won't. Um, be drained by fighting an unwinnable fight because there are fights that are winnable that your passion would you know, be. Sometimes
2: uh, the most, no, I, I know, but sometimes the most incredible things that have happened throughout human hitter, because People did things that most people believed was not
1: possible. Sometimes, but for every time that happened in 99, (laughs) it it went exactly the way they thought it would go, you know? But Uh,
2: the thing is, the people in power, the judges, these prosecutors that can act with total immunity and can commit crimes and do things behind closed doors, the only reason they can continue to do it is because we as citizens allow it.
1: Well, I disagree with you So it's time that that has to change, I think that's how power works and I think it's how power has always worked. And um you know it's the ACLU looks for uh, cases to bring that are winnable and that really show that frame perfectly the the point that they're trying to make. And and the problem is yes you didn't choose this case. This case chose you. And I mean it's hard to it's hard to have a conversation about this because of the the Zoom delay, and you know I can't no, interrupt course. you, and but, you know there's all this.
2: No, you could. Know, you, I hope you know you could have always interrupted me. Well, I no, just want I, to say though. That-
1: I mean, I can't because by the time you hear me, you're already you know five seconds on. Oh, so I mean, yeah, just tech technically we can't have a back and forth. So I I feel like we're we're making dueling speeches here, which is a uh, you know a technological <laughs> issue. I wish we were in a room together. Um, anyway, listen, uh, I've taken more than an hour of your time and, and I don't want to take much more, but I mean, I really do feel like, like, as I felt before I even started talking with you, I think you're a really good dude and your passion is coming from a really good place. And, you know, I, I feel, and maybe this is, um, Maybe this is arrogant of me or or whatever, but I feel kind of protective of you. Like, man, I wish you could be working with people with Tourette's. I wish you were, you know, putting this energy into people who would really benefit from your passion. Um, and I feel like it's all going to this one guy who, you know, I don't know whether he's innocent or he's guilty. I, I don't believe in innocence. I think it's really interesting that the criminal justice system is not set up about innocent or guilty. It's guilty or not guilty, right? Nobody's innocent. Um, but that, that's my point. I, I just, I hope that, and this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I hope that if this doesn't work out the way you're hoping it will, that you won't be demoralized and that you'll take your experience and your passion and your intelligence and you'll use it to help people with Tourette's and just leave this behind you at some point. I
2: obviously, I appreciate compliment and the things that you're saying. And I, obviously I'll never know until, until, you know, I don't think it will demoralize me. I've, you know, I've had a lot of, um, even though I've lived a privileged life, I've also had certain types of adversity that a lot of people haven't had. And, uh, it's never stopped me from wanting to fight and, and to try to do, do the things that I care about in my life. no, What makes it so hard is, you know, because people have said to me the same thing that you say, just go start your own thing and just go do that and go help people with threats. If it was that simple, I would do it. But it's not. I mean, the government has completely destroyed a whole community, a whole educational system and named it as it's this negative, bad force. The reason why um, I'm fighting for this is because I'm trying to ultimately show that it was a force for good. That's one of the things. And then there's the process things, too people are you know i get i've had death threats i have people whatever i go do because i'm unwilling to say that next was you know that keith ranieri is this horrible guy i'm always a target for people in that way um i mean you saw the vow i mean you saw the the moira campenza who's the lead prosecutor completely scoffed at the tourette's project as oh that was just like i mean if you wanted more evidence of a woman that has an agenda I mean, what kind of person just says, "Oh, yeah, no, that's just the thing that 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 Nancy did, yeah, but no, that, that had nothing to do with next Keith Raniere." Did you see the episode? Did you watch the episode? I mean, the whole episode was about how Keith Raniere and Nexium profoundly help people with Tourette's, and then you have the prosecutor at the end say, "Oh no, that had nothing to do with Keith Raniere or Nexium." So, um. I believe that the education created was uh, was on the cutting edge of helping people with Tourette's. Right now, you have some people with severe cases of Tourette's, and I'm not saying that we can help them, but they they get deep brain stimulation. That means they cut open their skull, they drill they drill into their brain, put electrodes into their brain, and connect it to a paper in their heart. That's what some people with Tourette's are doing. We had an education that through conversation, somebody could own Tourette's, and Tourette's. I know in my heart was just the beginning in terms of helping neurological disorders, OCD, ADD, ADHD, social anxiety, all these types of things. Tourette's was like the mother disorder. I don't want to try, I don't want to live my life, you know, trying to help people with Tourette's in, in the closet. Yeah. Well, I'm you're trying to ultimately, you know, it's, yeah. it's, um, so, I'm trying to do what's right for what I know is right for me. I want to help my friend. I want to try to expose injustice and I understand it's
1: a hard fight. Yeah. Mark Elliott, thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I, again, let's do this sometime when we're, we can be in the same room and we can actually have a organic conversation. Cause I think, you know, we've touched on some of the, the resonances here. I, I do think this resonates with so many different things, sexuality, the Me Too movement, criminal justice, you know, uh, whether good people can do bad things or bad people can do good things. I mean, there's so many interesting themes woven through this situation that you're, you're in the middle of. Um, it, it deserves a lot of conversation. And, uh, so I appreciate it
2: well thank you so much for having me. thank you so much for having me and also just you know like I said I've had so much hate there's so much prejudice around this and uh, uh, so I just appreciate the open, um, the open and even just kind conversation so thank you sure man
0: Radio Mano Papachango
2: Permanece a la escucha.